Hello, and welcome to New Reality, the show that empowers tomorrow's future today. I'm Heather Khan. To give you all a quick overview, New Reality is an organization that provides the upcoming generation with a platform to grow mentally, physically, and spiritually through our various initiatives. Welcome to New Reality, the platform that empowers tomorrow's future today. Um, so this is Leticia, and I'm here with another NRP member, Sarah. And uh, today we're joined with uh, one of our uh, listeners, Kenza Rushper, and our guest today, Sana Shatri. Sana, do you want to start us off with introdu- introducing yourself and talking to us a little bit about um, your background and what you do? Sure, absolutely. So thank you so much, first of all, for having me here. Um, and assalamu alaikum to everyone. And um, hello. So my name, as you mentioned, is Sana Chaudhary. I'm a registered psychotherapist here in Ontario. Uh, my practice is called Life Cycle Counseling. We're a mental health clinic and we provide psychotherapy services throughout Canada. Um, in terms of, you know, why I'm here and I guess what motivated me into this field, um, this was actually a career change for me. So I was doing something else prior to this, uh, prior to this, I when I lived in Ottawa, I was doing law and ethics and then uh, moved out in about 2015, I believe, is when I made the career change. And I think um, without going into too much detail, probably the three significant things that really impacted that was um, my family had a lot of mental health challenges that were experienced and were not really taken care of because of stigma, culture, faith. Um, lots of different factors that sort of played a role in that. And as a result, the family dynamic and unit really, really was compromised. In addition to that, the high school that I went to, we used to have this really cute buddy system with uh, some of the younger students where we could offer mentorship. And the young girl that was my mentee, uh, she ended up taking her life one day. And it was really devastating for me because we had never spoken about mental health. It was just something we never talked about like it didn't even come up at all. And so it was very shocking to me and disturbing in the sense that I was like, this is not a discussion that takes place frequently. We don't just talk about mental health and we should be right. Because then we lose a lot of our loved ones. Um, And then last, probably the biggest factor is that I've been a client first. So I've been on the other end of that couch several times, so many times. And I have felt like I have struggled um, trying to connect with someone who understands my culture, my family dynamic, my faith, you know, all of that stuff. And so I guess you could say I'm on this journey to become the therapist that I never had. Wow, I absolutely love that. Um, You know, we didn't get a chance to meet prior to this, but everything you said resonated so much um, for me. And, you know, myself, um, or actually our previous podcast was about mental health and religion and kind of how like, um, you know, they intersect. So I think that's also a great (laughs) listen for our listeners to go to to that. But, you know, you're you're totally right. I don't think, um, you know, our... Um, you know, community has a lot of support when it comes to that. And I think it goes unnoticed and it's generational trauma that keeps, you know, kind of going, gets passed on. And to be honest, I'm, uh, you know, myself going through something similar right now. And, you know, I'm in the process of trying to, you know, just break that pattern, you know, because at some point it takes someone, you know, strong like you, you know, like that to make that change. Um, But no, I'm very inspired. And, you know, I I hope that, you know, our listeners who, you know, maybe our younger ones are inspired by your career change and your, you know, um, just your motivation. I'm, I'm definitely inspired, but I kind of, you know, hinted to what our topic is today. So, um, so Tisa, do you want to talk about what our topic is today? 
So honestly, we are truly blessed to have Sana today join us to discuss um, how trauma impacts relationships in your life. And um, my first question that I really want to ask and I'm really curious to know is um, at what point would you normally recommend um, a couple um, to see couples therapy? Yeah, so couples therapy, I find, is often sought out during times of distress or conflict or when the couple is going through something or when family unit even is going through something, then you're kind of like, oh, something feels off. Let me go seek out some help. And that's if there's been enough talk about the stigma that you feel normal enough to go and seek out help, right? So uh, I think what most people don't recognize though is when you come into therapy at that time, the therapist is going to focus on, you know, de-escalation, stabilizing your your relationship, crisis management strategies, which is all good. And but your relationship does not need to be going downhill in order for you to seek out couples therapy. Similarly, you as a person don't need to be in crisis to go to therapy. Um, It can be a place for rediscovering yourself, self-reflection, developing self-awareness, developing like understanding emotions. These are things that we're not taught in school. We're not taught how to communicate or how to be assertive or how to feel an emotion and not suppress it. And what do I do with that once I've expressed it, right? So um, I think going back to the couples piece, though, there is lots of evidence and research that um, that has come out that kind of talks about, you know, couples who seek out therapy prior to having conflict or irrespective of conflict and distress, they tend to focus on things like, you know, what do I want my marriage to look like? What do I think of marriage? What are my values? What are my partner's values? What does proper ownership look like or business dealings? Um, What does division of labor look like? Um, You know, and I think we, but they often struggle with talking about the difficult topics like intimacy, emotional connection. Um, I think a lot of people come into couples therapy. The first thing that I always hear couples say is like, well, these are my two love languages and he's not meeting them. And I don't know what to do or same thing with the guy, right? But love languages isn't just the language of like you have to learn to speak the language of marriage and that doesn't always have to fall into a category not everybody's comfortable with physical touch not everyone's comfortable with words of affirmation you have to really figure out how do you make that person feel loved for and cared for and what and that needs to be in done in the way that they're going to feel loved and cared for not in the way that you feel loved and cared for so I think there's a lot that you can come into um, for couples outside of that and so I guess when to seek it out really depends on when you feel like you're ready to embark on that journey. Yeah, those are really great. And you know, I didn't even think of that when you said, you know, you don't have to be in crisis mode to seek out therapy, right? Every And I think that's, that's so important because we always wait till, you know, the last minute to like, oh my God, we're like at a breaking point and we need to fix it, right? Um, but you're right, it's better to be, you know, at work, we always say it's better to be preventative than, you know, to have to fix things, right? Um, Would you say the same thing that you just said applies to families as well? Yeah, absolutely. And um, families, family dynamics, and even just as a community, you know, especially if we're looking at the trauma lens within this, as a community, we've already experienced trauma, whether or not like irrespective of what we consider trauma to be as a community, we have already faced with trauma. I think there's, there's this beautiful talk done by Dr. Omar Suleiman, and he talks about the concept of spiritual bypass and he talks, and I love this because I feel like he integrates Islam so beautifully with mental health and he really has a foundational understanding of mental health. But something he talks about is, you know, when 
community members, um, first of all, he talks about how the mosque and we treat the mosque and going to the mosque as like group therapy because collectively we share so much that's happened that listening to those khutbahs, listening to an imam talk, that's a shared experience. That's like a support group right there, right? Um, oftentimes what happens though is our community sort of fails to acknowledge the importance of mental health outside of that faith component. So something he talks about is that concept of spiritual bypass. When an individual is struggling with trauma, depression, anxiety, we're so quick to tell them, okay, maybe if you just prayed more, or maybe you should go to the mosque more, or if you just tried to be grateful for what you have. Um, you know, in my clinic, I see a lot of women who are struggling with fertility, for example. And when they're struggling with that, more often than not, they, it, what's piled onto them is, okay, well, just be happy. Like, at least you have one kid. Or just be grateful. Like, you can always adopt they're not looking for a solution, right? And we, we're not in a place to give them that solution. Um, so this concept of spiritual bypass is basically, in a way, it's telling you, well, forget about what you're feeling. Let's just distract you by engaging in something else, right? And that's not the right way. We do this so often that even when we ask one another, especially as like Muslims, when we ask one another, how are you? It's always, Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah is not an emotion, right? Yeah. Or we say good. Yeah. Good's not an emotion. It means, it literally means praise be to God. And I don't think that's bad that we're saying it, but I think we need to be a little bit more expressive, right? We need to say, feeling kind of sad today or feeling kind of angry today, but Alhamdulillah, right? Sure, you can still praise God, but at least express what it is that you're feeling. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I think that that's so true. And I, I think a, a good point you mentioned too, is that I think there needs to almost be a separation of like, kind of, you know, like your mental health and the mosque, you know, those two are, they're not equals and they're not like going to the mosque is like not the answer to your mental health, you know? Yes, obviously it's going to help, you know, some people, you know, find, you know, the peace and everything. But for myself, for example, I need to go to therapy, you know, going to the mosque doesn't like help me. Right. So, um, and even, you know, for me, like, I, you know, you say, um, like you said that, you know, we don't actually see how we feel, you know, like on Sunday was my birthday and I had a terrible, like I had so much anxiety and it just wasn't going well. And I was just, I was so afraid to cancel my own birthday dinner, you know, and I was on the phone with my grandma and my uncle. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, Oh my God, can I just say I have anxiety? I am not feeling great. I need to be on the couch by myself. And I couldn't say that, but why couldn't I say that? Right. And then I like compared to like my other, you know, one of our Latisa and I's mutual friend, if she's feeling anxious, she's so, it's just, she's so easy to say it. She'll say it to whoever, because, you know, she's been raised that way that like, you know, like I can say how I feel. I'm not feeling good right now. And that's how I'm, you know, I'm going to do, uh, well, sorry, what I'm going to say. Um, but yeah, you're right. We don't say how we feel, you know, and, and I think that's kind of, it still adds that stigma, you know, like if we can't from the start, say how we feel, how are we even supposed to move forward past that, you know? And like you said, we're not taught, you know, even myself, like I was never taught to like acknowledge my feelings, like recognize like, Oh, Sarah, this is anxiety. This is stress. And like, how do you deal with it? Right. It's just like, even my, even, you know, my grandma, bless her, but you know, she was like, Oh, like, you know, just pray. And like, you know, it's going to be okay. But I'm like, no grandma, like, you know, like sometimes I just, I need therapy, I need help. Right. And I, I really like that. You said as a community that we've, you know, went through trauma and I don't think people really understand that from the beginning. I know that's a very loaded question, but how would you kind of summarize to someone or, you know, kind of our listeners, um, you know, like what that means, you know, what, how have we been, have already experienced trauma as a community? 
Yeah. So as a community, when we, uh, you know, a lot of our parents came to Canada, right? So their challenges probably encompass things like leaving their homeland, leaving everything that they've ever known and coming into a place of uncertainty. What happens when we go to school and it's the first grade? We have no idea what to expect. We have no idea who's going to be there. It causes anxiety. That's not a normal response, right? So similarly, our parents had that. Now you add on financial stressors that they might have. You add on language barriers, cultural barriers, clothing, right? People wear clothing and they get attacked for specific things. People get mocked or made fun of because of their language. You know, what happens every Ramadan? How many police officers are outside of our mosque? Because it's just so, you know, obscure to them that why are these people going into the masjid every day? Why are they praying? What's wrong? What are they doing? Are they planning something, right? So it's so hard to come to a new community and be able to just practice your religion, your culture, and also adapt into a new life now, right? While still holding on to those pieces. So oftentimes, like, especially when I see, uh, folks in my practice from the older age gap, they talk about their struggle here. They talk about like, I had no idea if I was going to even make it here or not. I had no idea was were my kids going to be safe? Were they going to be okay? Would I have to go back? Was I going to get deported? The number of parents that have told me, I'm so scared that I'm going to get deported. It shows you that their understanding of evil legal foundations within Canada, they don't have that comprehension. They don't have those capabilities of understanding like how do I become financially independent or where do I go for legal assistance, right? So I think community-wise when we talk and then you add in doses of racism, doses of all of these other things that go on that we face as a community, um, it really adds to all of that, right? And then we kind of carry it through into our next generation. That's a really good point. And it kind of sounds like also, um, I know it's also something that we discussed previously, like having how like there are like different types of trauma and different types or different events that can lead to having like um, a, like a trauma response in a person. Can you like maybe like walk us through just a little bit of like what the different forms of trauma are and like what trauma is? Sure. So I find trauma is really difficult to define as we can probably all understand, right? There's so many variations of this definition. Um, so for me, I usually consider it that trauma is a personal, a person's emotional response to a distressful event or experience. And I feel like few people go throughout life without encountering some kind of trauma, right? Traumatic events are typically, they're sudden and they're unpredictable. We don't know that they're going to happen, right? So they might involve um, serious life-threatening injury um, or bodily injury, or sometimes they might result in death, right? It's something that's beyond a person's control. Um, and they tend to undermine a person's sense of safety in the world. And instead, it creates a sense of fear that something catastrophic is going to strike anytime for me. And I have to be on alert. I have to literally be threat scanning because something is going to go off any moment now. Um, so for example, parental loss in childhood, that can be devastating accidents, physical violence, sexual assaults, uh, uh, military combats, right? Uh, the unexpected loss of a loved one, all of those things kind of fall into trauma. And when we look at different categories of trauma, um, I know Latisa, something you and I were talking about were the big T and little T. So I assume yes. that's sort of what you're referring to there. Yeah. yeah. But, um, you know, and I'll get into defining those, but while big T trauma is the more intense and acute trauma that we typically identify trauma with, little T trauma can have a wide range of negative effects on 
uh, adults. And it's really important to be mindful of that. Like this is how mental health challenges also develop. So big T trauma is a reaction to a deeply disturbing, life-threatening event or situation. That's usually why when we think of trauma, we think of things like war, natural disasters, um, school shootings, rape, you know, car accident, things like that. We think about like a physical thing that's happened to this person. Um, however, what counts as trauma isn't just an event that's an intense life endangering a feeling or an event that's taken place, but sometimes within childhood trauma or adolescent trauma, even they don't involve violence all the time or death or disaster, right? But they could still have significant negative uh, impacts. So what I mean by that is relational trauma, right? And I think that's something as a community we see all the time, relational trauma manifests during a child's uh, childhood time. So between ages like three and six is typically when children will start to comprehend and understand this stuff, just really, really young, right? So if you're growing up in a household where your parent, um, there's emotional neglect, there's emotional abandonment, um, the, maybe the parent or the caregiver without, and they're probably, you know, oftentimes they're not ill intentioned, right? Parents are not trying to go out and hurt their child, but I think they don't recognize that, you know, if I have my own emotional needs or my partner has their emotional needs and right now we're all in distress or my mom or my dad or my siblings, and I'm taking care of them, guess who's getting left behind? That little child, right? That child's needs are not being met opposite to that, when we put too much attention on the child without proper boundaries, that also creates relational trauma, right? So it's really defining, um, really looking at what does parenting look like? How do I'm, how am I going to break that cycle? Um, this probably takes us right back to couples, actually. When is a good time? Well, once you're done your self-reflection, maybe get into couples with your partner and talk about, hey, what does parenting look like for you? What is the trauma that you carry that you're bringing into this relationship? And how do we break that down so that we can kind of navigate this journey for our child, right? It can be a really taxing when you experience trauma and I find it comes into different dynamics and oftentimes people don't know how to deal with individuals who have gone through trauma either, right? And that's sort of what uh, Sarah was saying too, right? We we're very quick to be like, oh, just pray or just do this or just do that and you'll be fine without really recognizing you're not always coming for a solution. Like you're just coming to feel heard and validated. And with children, especially between ages three and six, when something like that goes on, they start to feel like, okay, my emotions, they don't have a seat at this table or they're so disproportionate to the event that's taken place. And that's why my parent is just laughing at me or they're telling me, no, get away from here. What are you talking about? Or just shove that away. It's really dismissal of that emotion, right? Um, that really impacts us. Awesome. And uh, how do you see that affecting relationships like beyond just like the communication piece? Yeah, so uh, I think living through traumatic events can result in expectations of danger or betrayal or potential harm within a new or old relationship, right? So survivors of trauma, they might feel vulnerable and confused about what does safety look like with me and my partner? What does that look like in my relationship? What does safety look like with me and my child? Um, they might really question that. So it can be really tough for them to trust other people um, because let's say there has been um, childhood trauma, if you couldn't depend on mom and dad, how are you going to depend now on this new person that you've just met, right? It's, it's unfathomable, right? And so when things get tough, and let's say if you can't go to mom and dad, 
you're going to have a hard time going to your partner. Or if your partner, let's say, wasn't there that one time, you're going to hold on to that. And you're going to feel like, oh my gosh, this person can't be there. I can't trust them, right? So it's very, uh, our thinking, it really impacts our thought process, right? And I find like the other stuff that can happen is with spouses, right? So spouses who are in, uh, who are living with a person who has trauma, if there's unresolved trauma um, outside of the communication piece, you might have a lot of conflict in your marriage, right? You might ex- you might experience a lot of distressful situations that neither party knows how to address. I always have couples sometimes that will come and say, "Oh, like you know, I'm just like so frustrated that my partner doesn't take the trash out when I ask him to do it on time, so I'm going." underneath that, there's actually hurt, right? It's not about the trash. It's about the pain this person is feeling. Um, it's about feeling like abandoned. It's about feeling how, how, why is this person not, why am I not desired by this person? Why am I not loved and cared for? Why isn't he picking up on the fact that I need this or that, right? So oftentimes with trauma, we see that a lot, that safety is usually questionable. Um, trusting it becomes really tough and difficult. There's always like this sense of abandonment that this person is going to leave, um, and low self-esteem. So they struggle a lot, these individuals with trauma that, um, they don't feel confident. They're indecisive, right? I, I think that that indecisiveness, we see it all over Instagram with people making reels of like, Oh, she could just make up her mind about dinner, but there's a reason that's happening, right? It's not, that she doesn't want to make up her mind about dinner. It's probably there's something else going on there that's preventing her from just speaking up and saying, okay, actually I can make a decision and this is what I want to have and feel confident in that. Yeah, no, everything you were saying is just like, this is a free therapy, uh, you know, session for me. This is literally just like speaking to me. But um, the next question I have for you is um, for um, one of my friends, um, you know, once she's also a therapist and she said that she views trauma as that you never it never really leaves you. You just learn to grow around it. Right. And so for you, um, do you believe that someone can heal from trauma and can, you know, relationships do get better? Um, you know, and what does it take for like that to happen? Yeah. So I think maybe we as a society need to redefine our expectations around healing. I think we put so much emphasis on, oh my gosh, go to therapy and heal and just heal and heal and heal, right? What is healing? Healing looks so different for everybody and that journey is so different. So um, the short answer, absolutely. You can work through your trauma. You can heal parts of your trauma, but there's always going to be things that happen in life that are going to remind you. They're going to be reminders of trauma. So I I go uh, with this approach called psychological flexibility. And I teach that to my clients a lot. And that is being open to the idea that, you know, you've gone through and endured so much trauma and that it's okay if not everything's perfect 100% of the time. It's okay if maybe in the next fight with your spouse, you were thrown out of your window of tolerance or you were activated or you didn't say the right things or do the right things. That's okay. You've endured so much trauma. Um, And I don't think we need the trauma to kind of grow around us, but I think we need to learn how do I carry this with me and how do I thrive in spite of what's happened to me? How do I view that as, yeah, that was that big test or that was something that I went through and yeah, it sucked and it was unfair and that's not right. No one should treat me like that. And I recognize that, but 
how do I now move forward with all of that and recognize that sometimes that trauma is going to impact my, the way that I respond, the way that I talk, my tone, and it's going to come into my, um, you know, relationships. And it doesn't mean that I'm a bad person. It just means that, okay, I, I still have some work to do and that's okay. I'm navigating. Everything's new. Relationships are new. Um, you know, who you are right now is going to be so different from who you are in five years from now. And your trauma might look very different five years from now. Yeah, no, that was a great answer. I think you're right that, you know, especially, you know, that healing looks so different for everyone, right? And I think as a society, we actually do put so much emphasis on that. I think my other question is, you know, when you were talking about, you know, kind of like the healing, the process is, you know, when do you know as like, you know, a significant other or like, you know, as a member of a family to, you know, to kind of either, you know, in a relationship to walk away or, you know, to like, okay, I have to set boundaries, you know, whether it's okay, I need to have, not have, you know, this family member in my life anymore, things like that. Um, at what point do you say, would you, I know, obviously it's very different in every circumstance, um, but you know, what are the, I think maybe the major signs that you would say that, that you could be like, those are, you know, alarming things that, okay, it's time for you to walk away. Yeah. So usually if your gut feeling is that this doesn't feel good, this feels off, something feels so wrong about this, that's usually your sign that something's going on. Um, if, you know, uh, if you're in a relationship and someone is um, gaslighting you or being emotionally manipulative, um, when you add in a lens of culture, we don't often pick up on that. We think that, oh, this is part of their personality or this is just cultural or I'm, I'm taught to be submissive, so let me be submissive. And maybe males are taught to be aggressive and confrontational, right? We're not taught to be assertive. And when we try to be assertive, we're ashamed for it, that, oh, you're being um, like rude or blunt or what's wrong with you, right? We don't view it as like, I'm actually just expressing my needs and wants. And I'm still kind of addressing what's going on here, right? So I usually go with, if something feels off, there's probably, and you have question marks of like, that didn't feel good. That felt kind of uncomfortable. That left a really sour taste in my mouth. Um, just like with friendships, right? It can happen in relationships. It can happen in familial dynamics. Not everyone is perfect, but it doesn't mean that there isn't space for change. And sometimes when, you know, when we can't change other people, we're forced to change ourselves. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because it might teach you then about what are your needs, what are your wants and what are your boundaries going to look like. And even with boundaries, they don't have to be so rigid all the time of like, yeah, this person's out of my life and I'm only going to do this and this and this. Again, you might be in a very different place five years from uh, today and you might reflect back and be like, you know what, I could probably actually have a relationship with this person, but now I kind of know what kind of relationship I can have. What's healthy for me and what's not healthy? What's accepting for me and what's not accepting? And I think within that too, it's really important to mention, like particularly when trauma is involved, we tend to depend very quickly on people. We, we couldn't depend on mom and dad, so I'm going to depend on my partner. I can't depend on him. Okay, I'm going to go now and depend on a friend for this. And, you know, we attach this dependency factor it's not a bad thing to be dependent, but I think it's important to recognize that not everyone is going to be 100% or able to offer you 100% of support for 100% of your problems. And that's okay. Your husband can't be your go-to be-all for 100% of your problems because frankly, he might not be able to support you. And that doesn't mean there's a flaw in him or you or your relationship. It just means that not everyone is capable of offering 100% of the support that we're looking for. And so we need to create that supportive system for us. And only you can do that by 
really recognizing your inner work and what feels good, what doesn't feel good, what relationships, you know, what do you want your relationships to look like? That was absolutely amazing advice and definitely something I think I'm going to be like thinking of. Um, But um, just one of my um, last questions that I really want to ask is like, can you possibly give us maybe some advice on preventing trauma or any like whether it be cultural trauma or like big t little t's whatever it is how uh, like can you give us some advice on how to prevent it from negatively um impacting a relationship yeah for sure so i think um firstly if you are a partner or a loved one of someone who has trauma, so let's say your friend, your sister, your sibling, your spouse, whoever, um, try to not fix their problem. Just more often than not, I feel like people just want to fix their problems and we don't really meet them with empathy and validation. And if you can do that, it's going to change so much of your life in all your relationships, irrespective of trauma. With trauma, more often than not, people just need to feel heard, validated, and safe. I think what individuals can do in terms of working through trauma or identifying trauma is understand trauma and its effects. So read books um, about trauma, uh, you know, talk with a therapist to see what behaviors you exhibit in life that might be related to early traumatic events. Um, Whether you remember specific events or not, doesn't really matter, but that's a, a place that you can safely talk about things that have happened in the past and how they really correlate with your current behavioral or coping tools, right? Just be mindful of your consumption. I find a lot of people will do so much reading into that. And sometimes that can, you know, everyone has such an individualized experience. And that's kind of why I typically recommend try to see a therapist where you can share your individual lived experience. Develop self-awareness. So notice all the thoughts and feelings that arise within you per situation and experience. And try to, instead of passing judgment on them of like, oh my God, why did I say that? What's wrong with me? Try to understand a little bit like, oh, that felt a little bit odd or uncomfortable. What's coming up for me in this moment? You know, so you start to notice things that are triggering. You notice that self-talk that comes with it. Notice all of that. Um, identify them. Identify your triggers in a non-judgmental way, right? That can be a really great way of stepping out of your emotional response and just learning to name it and how to talk about what happened without putting blame. Develop emotional resilience. So learn to label your emotions, learn to label your experiences rather than just pushing them away. You know, I always tell my clients when you don't, feel or express your emotion, your body's going to do the talking for you at some point. So it's really important to express them. Identify your current coping tools. I feel like all of us think we have most wonderful coping tools, but there's always, always room for improvement, right? You should always be open to learning new um, techniques and especially soothing techniques. If you're an individual with experienced trauma, um, learn about self-soothing techniques. And that's just not, it's not just warm bubble baths and journaling. Frankly, that doesn't really work for a lot of people, right? And I know it sounds really romantic, but when it comes to trauma, self-soothing techniques need to revolve around the feeling of safety. So what makes you feel safe? Um, It might be a warm shower, but for a lot of people, it might also be, I need to run and get this energy out of me. Um, Or it might be, you know, I need to leave this room temporarily. Um, It might be, you know, maybe specific scents trigger you or paintings and things like that. And that means I kind of remove those for the time being until I can develop an exposure to having them there. Um, Ice cold water, 
It's a great tool when you're feeling really activated, drink ice cold water. Um, And then I think also like consider the spiritual dimension. So for those of us who are people of faith, it can be really empowering to incorporate your religion. Um, You can use faith as a way to ground you uh, and push the onus onto God when things feel unfair. You know, for example, a child experiencing abuse might question like, why did my parents do that to me? Sometimes those are the questions that we have left unanswered, but those are the questions that we can shift to God, right? In order to help with that grief and acceptance piece. And probably my last two tips will be take time, all the time that you need. Uh, We're not made the same. We all heal in our own way, in our time. Our process is very intense and it needs to slow down. There's no expectation. I always see all these memes all over Instagram of like, oh, I had my aha moment. Um, You probably experience a lot more aha moments than you think. And it starts, you know, therapy's hard. It's not easy. Um, So seek out professional help. If you're open to it, seek out, find a trauma-informed therapist or a trauma-trained therapist. Work with them, right? Um, Know that therapy is not meant to be fun. It's not easy. Um, It's hard work. It takes it takes time, but your healing will come, right? And again, we, we don't get over trauma. We're forced to make space for it, right? And then learning to thrive in spite of it. So thrive. Yeah, that's so great. Yeah, because, you know, like you said that, you know, it's not just about kind of just getting to the end goal, you know, it's like, you know, that saying it's, it's not about like the, it's about the journey. Like it's not about the, you know, the ending, but just the journey. But you're right, it is it is a lot of work. And you know, it's, it's, it's a lot for you know, yourself, for people around you, for your family, for your support system, your friends. Um, and un- unfortunately, it's just, you know, I think it's just kind of like the part of it, right. And just, like you said, it's just like staying positive. Um, you know, and I, I think for me, it's just knowing that better days are to come, you know, that like, you know, that you, you know, there is that possibility for that and kind of just focusing on that instead of, you know, always kind of like looking back. I think it's something that's always also helped me, but, um, yeah, those those are really, those are all really, really great. Um, you know, I learned so much today with you, Sana. I really, really, really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us. Um, but yeah, I think Leticia has a few last words to say before we wrap up. Um, so before we wrap up, I actually wanted to just bring it to Kenza and see if you have any questions and you join us today. Do you have, like, is there anything that you're wondering that was discussed today that you really keen to ask first of all hi thank you for making me part of this <laughs> I have like so much to unpack but I will try to condense it um I think uh the points that you were mentioning about um accepting trauma I feel like a lot of South Asians uh especially in our community do not realize what that means um and you will often hear our moms or our aunties go like oh my heart feels heavy and it's like you have anxiety, accepted. And for them, it's just like, oh, no, no, it's just my heart feeling heavy. And it's like, you are going through something, sit down, calm down. And just just the acknowledgement of having some sort of chemical imbalance is so huge in our community. And for for you to be able to have that sort of platform for future generation, it's so important because um, considering that, in my own marriage, um, I often notice things that don't align with my husband and I can make the correlation. Why? Because it's just the way his family has um, brought him up and what he's exposed to and what I have been exposed to. So there are a lot of things where we disagree, but it's it's not a disagreement where we necessarily should have a fight, but it's more of an acknowledgement that, hey, listen, 
this pattern that you have, it's not necessarily the right one. And I feel like a couple needs to acknowledge that about each other's family so that you can prevent what you do to the future generation that you decide to bring in and also have the have a very open narrative about your own relationship because that's where I feel like a lot of issues might get resolved if there are struggles coming um, because of the cultural um, trauma that you have been experienced. And if we were to talk about that, I think we would be here for three hours because it's, it's, it's so much, it's so much. And um, it is good to see that um, somebody like myself that can reach out to somebody like you, I mean, Sana, um, so that way, not only will I be able to kind of relate with you about the cultural trauma, but also um, religious trauma as well, because I feel like sometimes those do overlap and we don't realize it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I'm happy to hear that you are, um, you know, you're kind you're, you sound like you're really aware of everything that is going on and you're absolutely right. Right. Like we, we all have different patterns that we come into relationships with and they're not always right or the right ones. Um, they're not so, they're always, they're not always also bad either. Right. And I think that it's just, it, if it doesn't work for your dynamic as a couple, you as a couple get to write that charter. What is your marriage going to look like? You don't have to base it off of old rules you're, you're newly, you know, in that marriage. So what is that going to look like for you? And I think it's identifying that new road ahead. And I do want to clarify what uh, Sarah was saying. So the goal of trauma is not to become like positive, um, because I don't believe that emotions are positive or negative. They're just emotions. They're not facts. But I do think that the goal is to like, kind of learn to carry that, right? Carry it with you in a way that your life can be more meaningful and purposeful. And it's okay if that journey means that, you're not always happy all the time. That's okay. But at least if there's meaning, there's purpose, there's something there that you're kind of living for and living towards. Um, it really helps you to kind of reground. Yeah, I actually saw this post. I just pulled it up. Um, that really like that was exactly what you said. Um, but um, I actually ended up sending it to Sarah the other day because it really resonated. And it, it said, um, my therapist told me to stop making happiness my end goal because what is happiness? It's an emotion, just like sadness and anger. You're allowed to feel them, but trying to make happiness the end goal releases unrealistic expectations onto you that end up in disappointment. That's and beautiful. I thought that I was like, so beautiful, but <laughs> I needed to say yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, thank you so, so much, Sana, for uh, coming in and giving us your professional opinion and all of your advice. It was actually um, really like just uh, inspiring and enlightening to just hear all about it. Um, I feel like every time I talk to you, I learn 20 different new things. <laughs> and I really appreciate that. Um, and thank you, Kenza, for joining us today. I hope you got to have a um, couple big takeaways and uh, enjoyed joining uh, NRP today on today's podcast. Most certainly, yes. Yeah, and thank you so much for having me again, guys. This has been really nice. It's been a nice conversation. Yeah, I absolutely enjoyed it. Thank you so much. And uh, I hope we can do some more. Mm -hmm. Welcome anytime. <laughs> anytime. <Okay. laughs> All right, so I think we're going to leave it at that. And uh, again, thank you. And I hope you have a wonderful day today.